In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me, that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask you for pardon of my sins and grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Mother Immaculate, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. In chapter 13 of his Gospel, Saint Matthew tells us about many of the parables of the Kingdom that Jesus told in order to help people to understand what the Kingdom of God uh, meant. The weeds and the wheat, the mustard seed. And when he had finished preaching in this way, he asked them, his listeners, have you understood all this? And they said to him, yes. And he said to them, Therefore, every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a householder who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. And thinking on this 14th of February about the founding of the women's section of Opus Dei and also of the Priestly Society of the Holy Cross in 1930 and 1943 respectively on this same day. It's, it seems it's appropriate to think of that little phrase, uh, a householder who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. Because St. Josemaria used to say that Opus Dei is as old as the Gospel and as new and fresh as the Gospel. And it's his role, in a way, was to be like that uh, householder who brought out of the, the store of the teaching of the faith, the message of Christ, which the Church uh, retains and guards and cherishes. So an aspect of that teaching which perhaps had been forgotten about for many years, the universal call to holiness, which of course was there from the very beginning. But it got left aside and it was began to be thought that, well, holiness was for special people, people who left the world, for instance, uh, who were perhaps had a religious vocation and so on but for, not for ordinary uh, souls. So he, he was bringing out an aspect of the teaching of Christ, which, had, which was new, because it always is new, but it also goes back to the very beginning and still retains its, its freshness. And in particular, we look at the, well, first of all, the 14th of February, uh, 19. Uh, 30. I was just reading the uh, history of Opus Dei 
which has which came out last year and is due to be translated into English or to appear in English quite soon. Uh, and he tells us the story of the 14th of February. Um, well, there are two authors, I suppose we should say. They tell the story, Jose Luis Gonzalez Gullion and John uh, Coverdale. Anyway, the, the way they put it is, on the 14th of February, 1930, uh, there came another decisive foundational event. Uh, Father Jose Maria was saying Mass and after Holy Communion he realised that women too should find a place in the institution. As he put it, I can't say that I, I saw it physically, if you like, but conceptually, uh, in, in full detail, I, I, I began, I realised what the women's section of Opus Dei would, would be and would become. So this was a big, big breakthrough, a big change. Up to this, he had been convinced that Opus Dei was for men. And indeed, a few he'd been searching for. He wasn't keen on founding something new if he didn't have to, because he felt there were plenty of foundations, associations in the church already. And so he began looking to see, was there another foundation or association anywhere uh, that was doing what he had seen on the 2nd of October 1928 this universal call to holiness through everyday work and life and from all the replies that he got it was clear that no, no other association anywhere in Europe where he was writing to had the same idea uh, and in fact a couple of days before the 14th of February there was one which had both men and women and he said well Whatever, even from that point of view, I can see that that's not what, what I've been asked to do. And then a few days later, God showed him uh, during Mass, after Holy Communion, that he did want women to be part of Opus Dei. So um, he was very convinced that this was a divine uh, decision, or it was God's will, because he had seen it differently, and uh, he thought he knew what you know the whole thing was all about but obviously God was now showing him another uh, facet of Opus Dei which was so important and he took that to heart and from that moment on he began to uh, to think about women also and another thing that also happened then was that from that moment on he also realized that it wasn't a case of looking for some other association he, he was by now convinced that he had to found the, whatever you want to call it, uh, now it's a prelature, uh, but he had to found it himself. It was, there had to be an institution that he uh, laid the foundations for and built up uh, during his life. Uh, so he, he ceased searching around for, for some other way and uh, began to, well, to work on Opus Dei which didn't have a name at that point, but later in 1930 he, he 
took as his spiritual director, Father Valentin Sanchez, S.J. And this uh, good priest one day asked him, how's that work of God that you're doing coming along? And Rosemaria realized that that could be a very good name, Work of God, and it, Opus Dei. So he, he was now working on uh, making this happen. You could say there could hardly have been a worse time for um, opening up this new path in the church. 1930, this stage, uh, just over a year after the 2nd of October 1928, uh, in the midst of persecutions of the church in, in Spain, great unrest, which eventually uh, developed into the Civil War, which broke out in 1936, followed by the Second World War, and all the upheavals that that involved the inability to bring Opus Dei international, as he hoped had hoped to do quite soon, was planning to do in 1939 already. But of course that all had to be put on hold. It was also a difficult time from him, for his own point of view, because well, he, he was a, an outsider in Madrid. He came from Saragossa, where he'd been ordained. He'd come from that... Uh, diocese and uh, now he was in Madrid he started his doctorate and was teaching to look after to support his family his mother and sister and brother and it was hard for somebody who, who wasn't a native who didn't know very many people it was difficult for him to make way make his way there and the these priests from outside of Madrid who were perhaps doing doctorates or something else in in the capital, were looked down upon by the, um, the diocese, and they wanted to. There were too many priests, really, at the time. And they they were hoping that they would leave as as soon as possible. So it was a very awkward situation for for him. It was a bad time, you might say. But he didn't let that get in the way. He he worked ahead and did what he could. He saw that women were going to be involved. He saw that priests were going to be involved. He'd seen that from the very beginning. He began to look around for priests who could help him with the work. He particularly was hoping to find some older priests who could look after the women uh, who would join Opus Dei because being so young himself, he felt it might be more appropriate to delegate a certain amount of that pastoral work of his to, to, to an older priest. And so on. So he did everything that he could, and they didn't. Things didn't always work out uh, too too well, uh, because the priests that uh, began to help him, while they were very good priests, and that's why he chose them. Really, there were priests whom he met, for example, on the way to mass in the morning. He met on the street. They were also going to say mass, and uh, if he noticed they looked, you know, prayerful, he would ask them to pray for an intention of his which of course they'd be delighted to do and would say so. And then they would meet later and he'd explain what the intention was. And gradually some of these began to say, well, offer to help. But they didn't always get things right. They didn't really understand you know, the secularity of um, mm. Opus Dei. 
the people of Opus Dei. So they weren't really able to guide uh, St. Rosemary's um, sons and daughters uh, as well as they, they might have done. And, um, and as a result, the, the, some of the uh, first people who, who joined the work, the, the women's section, really ended up with a different kind of spirituality, a more, I suppose you could say, more religious uh, style of uh, spirituality, obviously which is very good, but it wasn't what our father had been uh, entrusted with to bring to, to, the, to the world. So they mostly, he, he suggested that they would be better off joining a religious association of some kind, and many of them did, because they were very good people. They were very sincere in trying to do their best to seek God, to seek holiness. But that was tough on St. Maria. He really had to start off the women's section of Opus Dei three times. But he, he did, and, and the priests, as we've seen in a few minutes too, caused problems. But he, he kept on going, he did his bit, he did what he could. Even during the Civil War, he kept on trying to help look after his sons and daughters, uh, preaching to them, writing to them, making sure that they weren't on their own and uh, enabling them to be faithful to their vocation, to find God, even in all the chaos of the, of the war, which can, uh, we can only imagine how difficult that must have been. But he, he didn't give up and he didn't let them give up either because he knew that God was working through what they were doing, even if it was very little even if the whole thing was going so slowly and so gradually, but like the mustard seed, it would grow into uh, a great uh, plant that would be able to, uh, a great um, tree that would be able to shelter the birds of the air in its branches, as the parable uh, in that same chapter of St. Matthew puts it. And that's what happened. But at the time you couldn't see that. But he was faithful, did what he could, let God do the rest. And then another aspect of this is, um, well, the 14th of February, uh, 1943, when he was trying to find uh, a way of having priests involved in Opus Dei not the way that he had tried in the early days, as we've just seen, you know, diocese and priests from Madrid and from the diocese and wherever, uh, but rather priests who would come from Opus Dei itself, who would already have grasped the, its spirit and would be able to, in their preaching and their spiritual direction, etc., would be able to pass that on to the members of the work. And he, he, he actually had three uh, members of, of Opus Dei, uh, Don Alvaro del Portillo, who later became his successor, Father Jose Luis Musquiz, who later went to the United States, and Father uh, Garnica, who actually came to Ireland on a number of occasions and just was uh, tended to be based in all over Europe, for, especially Northern Europe, Looking after all the different regions there, which were which were growing, in the uh, especially in the nineteen fifties and sixties. 
he got them to start studying, which was a, was a kind of an act of faith in itself because they were the ones who were earning most money. They had jobs. But he, he said, well, I'll, they're the guys whom I'm going to ask would they be happy to become priests if they were called. And they all said yes. So uh, they started studying for the priesthood uh, for, first in their spare time and then more intensely. But this was a huge act of faith too because St. Josemaria didn't know precisely how they could be ordained. Uh, they, they couldn't become priests of the diocese because in that case they would be lost to him. Uh, they couldn't become religious priests because Opus Dei isn't a religious uh, order or institution. Um, so how could they be ordained in such a way that they would be you know, properly ordained, in a secular setting, and at the same time be able to work full-time for, for St. Josemaria, for, for Opus Dei? And he was trying all kinds of solutions and all kinds of ideas, ways of making this happen, asking his friends who were canon lawyers and looking for expert advice as to how you could possibly ha make this happen. Until uh, one day in 1943, uh, he, as he was saying Mass, again, I go back to the history of Opus Dei, on the 14th of February 1943, as he was saying Mass in the centre of the women's section, Jorge Manrique, uh, where obviously it was a big day because it was the anniversary of the women's section being founded 13 years before. Well, apart from that, he had another reason to uh, really uh, to celebrate because uh, he got an inspiration which resolved the problem. As he put it, I started the Mass off still searching for the canonical legal solution to incarnate priests into the work. In other words, to have priests who would be fully committed to, to the work, to Opus Dei. I had been trying to find this solution for a long time and I was getting nowhere. But that day, uh, while I was saying Mass, after Holy Communion, the Lord gave me the solution, the Priestly Society of the Holy Cross. He even gave me the seal of the Society the sphere of the world with the cross uh, inscribed within it. He realised that um, God was asking him to found something for priests, with, with the priests would be involved in Opus Dei. It meant that he created a priestly association, joined, connected to Opus Dei, made up of priests who came from the lay people uh, of the work. And there was a place in the Code of Canon Law of the time for this kind of society, and the priestly society of the Holy Cross, to which these clerics would be inscribed or ascribed, and they would exercise their ministry in the first place in favour of the members on the mission of Opus Dei, and then all the other aspects sacramental, liturgical aspects that the work needed and spiritual direction of the members of the work. So all of a sudden uh, he had it. He, now he knew 
how it could um, how it could be done. And Don Alvaro was sent off to Rome uh, in um, shortly afterwards in May 1943 to with um, all the papers to be approved to set up the society and um, by October the same year October 1943 it had been approved and it was ready to receive its first uh, priestly members apart from St. Rosemary himself and they were ordained the following year on the 25th of June 1944 so in spite of the difficulties he worked away he realised this is God's will we'll find a way of putting it into practice and he, that faith was rewarded on the 14th of February 1943 and as we could say the rest is history St. Rosemary used to say that this feast day, 14th of February, every year would be a day of particular thanksgiving. I mean, the church has lots and lots of feast days throughout the year, but we have a couple of feast days which in particular we celebrate in our um, calendar, and every diocese has a calendar, a liturgical calendar, and uh, so does the prelature have one granted by the Vatican. And the 2nd of October, the 14th of February, and the 28th of November, the uh, erection of the prelature, they're particular feast days of thanksgiving. So that's the big m motif of our prayer today, you know, just thanksgiving, uh, thanking God. We thank God so many different times. Uh, one particular moment when we thank him specifically is the first petition in the preces of Opus Dei, gratias tibi Deus, gratias tibi, vera et una trinitas, una et summa deitas, sancta et una unitas. When we simply thank God for being God, we don't thank him for anything in particular, we just thank him for being there, as we will often thank people that we love, just for being there. Well, we thank God for being there, but today too, we also thank him for this particular gift, or these two gifts, which our father really felt were, were gifts. He was looking for them, he was doing his best, he was trying to find a way. He, he, he didn't really see the need for, or not so much the need, he, didn't, he felt that God didn't want Opus Dei to have women. And all of a sudden, in both cases, God's will. He saw God's will. Slightly different from what he had thought it was, and he went along with that. So he was so grateful just to, for for he for seeing these things, and because uh, without women in Opus Dei, without the priests of Opus Dei, it just wouldn't be what it is at all. And just so we can be so grateful for this. And in the same kind of connection, he he drew attention first of all himself, and then uh, anyone who was listening to him to the coincidence that these two events happened on the same day. Um, and of course, we know that when God's involved, there are no such, thing as, no such things as coincidences, because God's will is at work, and it isn't just that things happened to happen on the same day. So he, he felt that 
in a, in a way, God was trying to show him something uh, through this. And what he felt God was showing him in a particular way was the unity of Opus Dei, the unity between the priests, the men and the women, that it's a, it's a family um, which is, um, you know, within the unity of the church, because like the church is the family to which we all belong, and the unity of the church is absolutely miraculous. Uh, St. John Paul talked about the spirituality of communion, where so many people of so, such different backgrounds and uh, civilizations and cultures, once they have this faith, this unity in common, that's the that overcomes all differences and all the the necessary pluralism because obviously we're all very very different and we should be so different from one another. But that doesn't in any way inhibit this unity or water it down in the church because the church is united, not just because people are united like one another or get on well with one another, but the church is united through the Holy Spirit. The church is the body of Christ and the Holy Spirit is the soul of that body. And Opus Dei participates, kind of shares in that unity of the church and this coincidence, to put it that way, maybe we should say coincidence in inverted commas, reflects that unity. St. Josemarie used to say the priests in a particular way were instruments of unity in the prelature, in the work. And, uh, but I, I think you could further and say that we all are instruments of, of unity. We all can make the church, indeed, and, and, and the work within it um, by our prayer for the Holy Father, for, for the Father, the prelate. Uh, the, the, there are lots of things we can do. Every, every time we go to Holy Communion, in a way, we make the unity of the church more real because we become what we have received. We become Christ and we become his part members of his body even more so as we are united to him through sacramental Holy Communion. So I suppose it's a good opportunity for us today to think that... Um, well, to see how how can I be more united to my brothers and sisters, to the Father, to the Holy Father, because when I do that, uh, when I practice that unity, I'm I'm making, I'm contributing to the unity of the the body. And there are many things we can do. Obviously, praying. Is a most most important one. Going to mass, receiving holy communion, um, being aware of uh, the what the Father is saying to us through through many letters and messages, and perhaps you know dwelling on those things a little bit and thinking about you know what they what they mean and what we can what we can get out of them. Things like that can all contribute to unity, writing letters to the Father also. They really do help us probably more than they help him. I know they help him, but they help us in a very particular way because it just brings us to see that we have a Father and that he cares about us and that whatever we write doesn't have to be anything terribly uh, profound or literary. 
just whatever is going on, whatever is in our minds, uh, we just share that with him. And that makes us more united and helps us to be more part of things. Our Lady is the Mother of the Church, uh, Queen of Opus Dei, Mother of God and our Mother. And mothers are great at uniting the family. The family somehow unites around her. Uh, St. Maria in his homily for May, in Christ is passing by to Jesus through Mary, reflects on that. How when we you know go on a pilgrimage to a shrine of Our Lady, etc., we're kind of, it's as though the heart of the church were, was beating that bit more strongly because you feel more that you belong uh, by being close to her. So that could be a good way for us to uh, just conclude our, our prayer and, and think, uh, well, I'm going to be closer to everybody. The closer I am, the closer I am to God, closer I am to Mary, well obviously through the norms, then the closer I am to everybody else. And that could be a great fruit, the most important fruit of this great celebration. I give you thanks, my God, for the good resolutions, affections and inspirations which you have communicated to me in this meditation. I ask you for help to put them into effect. My Mother Immaculate, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me.